This week on Trek Mary Kill. Booze, hisses, catcalls. Next! Captain's log, stardate 4040.7. We've run across one of the strangest examples of parallel planet development. What are we seeing? 20th century Rome? Don't move! It's been a long time since I've watched barbarians die in the arena. Fight, you poison air freak! Men dying, not strangers. Do you know why you're not afraid to die, Spock? You're more afraid of living. Let's go. For this evening, I was told I am your slave. Command me. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a Star Trek podcast where we ask a series of questions to determine if an episode is worthy of our attention or maybe worthy of our love or it just sucks and we should forget we ever saw it. Uh, this week, we're doing another wildcard episode. Uh, during the hiatus, Kristen and I went to brunch. We drew some episode titles out of a mug in the shape of Spock's head. And mm-hmm. Bread and Circuses was one of the episodes we picked. It's the penultimate episode of the original series' second season, originally aired on NBC March 15th, 1968. So this is the 55th anniversary of the episode's air date. So congratulations to all involved. Mm. Here yes. we are talking about it 55 years later. Um, I can only hope that beyond like a child or something, people are still talking about something I made. 55 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> written, by, <laughs> written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn. Very, very rare occurrence there. Directed by Ralph Sineski. Now, I made sure to put this in the notes, Kristen. Ralph Sineski is 100 years old. Wow. And he is still alive. He's still with us. He has his own blog. I, I encourage all Star Trek fans to go. And it's like a history of Hollywood directing TV in the 50s, 60s, and the 70s. Senensky.com, S-E-N-E-N-S-K-Y.com. But he's been interviewed on some other podcasts. He's, he's not like an ornery bastard, but, you know, he sounds like an old guy who's who is in the biz. It's just really cool. So um, I just thought that was fun to point out. Um, it was actually the 14th episode produced with the 25th air. I said I was going to do some research on that. I didn't I didn't look into it. So. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> Uh, the memory alpha synopsis, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are captured on a planet that resembles the Roman Empire, but with 20th century technology. Uh, they are set to die at the hands of gladiators for the sake of public spectacle on a TV game show. Pretty uh, boilerplate explanation. This is mm-hmm. this is a fun episode. This was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first time you saw this? I don't have a clear memory of the first time, but I do remember this gladiator fight because that was very difficult to forget it's very memorable yeah my recollection of this episode is i never wanted to watch it because there's just something about it it looked too 60s to me oh yeah it's got like the batman jail <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the the all the costumes the kind of mm-hmm. just the roman the swords and sandals epic or the attempt at that 
it just was like I was not into it. And I just remember over the years that I've basically watched it in in fragments. Like I remember watching it from like um, after Drusilla on or like from when they first mm-hmm. came down to the planet up until a certain point. Like so just in pieces, I, I guess before we get into the grades, we'll just do our little memory alpha notes here. The there there's quite a lot in this episode that hmm, how do I put this in TV? We don't usually get what is what I would consider like movie quality arcs. Like mm-hmm. usually characters just keep being themselves, but with it's very rare that we get one story told with a beginning, middle and end with these characters. So like there's like a, a Spock and McCoy runner that's like a beginning, mm-hmm. middle and end. And then you've got Kirk, um, you know, Captain Kirk being Captain Kirk. Everyone is at their peak in this episode. That's another part. Yeah, of this one. Oh, it's everyone's perfect in perfect form. But there's like a, one of the guest characters. There's an arc with them. It's just very weird to see characters get like an emotional through line that pays off at the end. That was something that really stood out to me. And I say all that because one of the memory alpha notes was that apparently during the syndicated run of the show, one of the cuts was like the key emotional moment between McCoy and Spock after the first <laughs> ridiculous to cut this part <laughs> there's no reason to cut this part uh so hopefully you've watched the episode but if not i really think you should go watch it or at least find the scene on like youtube or something but it's you know spock save spock has saved mccoy's life in one of the gladiatorial fights that they have to participate in and mccoy's trying to thank him and spock's cracking wise basically continuing their own repartee that they've always had and um and then mccoy just kind of pins him down and says you're insecure and you're not afraid to die because you're more afraid of living and it it does get to spock but then in true oh i just sometimes i love tv so much Kristen. it's such it's such a reliable form so it's about the two of them having this emotional connection mm-hmm. and then because william shatner is the star of the show If you're a TV show in the 60s, you must at all times be pointing towards the star. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little hammy. It's like, oh, we're going to actually get to the root of this. And then at the culmination of this, like, you think maybe we're going to have an emotional breakdown. And then McCoy says, I'm worried about Jim, too. Like, that's not what it's about. Sure, we're getting too touchy-feely. How about we talk about you know, the star it's, of the show. It's the Mission Impossible movies. We haven't, mm-hmm. we have to talk about Ethan when Ethan's not in the scene. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was the syndication cut and it happened a lot. And I guess for one of the VHS releases, it was put back in and on the box, it had the sticker contains one of the finest McCoy Spock dialogues <laughs> ever, usually cut in syndication. <laughs> so I just, that was was worth pointing out like i said it was very rare that uh gene roddenberry and gene coon wrote a script together now obviously there would be rewrites and all that stuff they would work on the same scripts but for both of them to have their name on it it was very unusual for that to happen um and they were doing rewrites of it as they were shooting it not unusual but i think there was ralph snesky in his blog he points out that there was definitely a day where they came in or they ended a day not knowing what they were going to shoot the next day. Like the scene hadn't been written. 
Yeah. And then Sinensky had done Star Trek and then gone away and then had come back. In between that time period, Desilu had, you know, had its financial troubles and was bought by Paramount. And they Paramount had a different management set up and they were very strict on the number of shooting days for Star Trek. So it had been six and it was down to five and a half days, which, again, okay. we've talked about this is nuts. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot to shoot. So he was pretty con- he was pretty concerned that it was it really ate into the episode about the scale and scope of the gladiator. Glad- uh, what am I saying? The gladiator fights. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about the two main guest actors, uh, Captain Merrick and then. Pro, the pro console character. Yeah, the pro console. Mm-hmm. I, I want to like highlight that they are probably two of the better guest characters of the original series, but also a really interesting blueprint template or archetype. Because maybe this is just from history of like Littlefinger and Varys. Oh, like, even down to the way they look. Uh, so Captain Merrick is the captain of the Beagle, the ship the Enterprise well, is looking Captain for. Merrick is not well, as compelling a character as Littlefinger. That's very and I'm true. I'm not a big Littlefinger fan. And <laughs> right. Uh, like Littlefinger I mean, actually. The console has... isn't as compelling as Varys either, but that's okay. Yes, but they're vaguely schemers with ambitions and playing a, the game a certain way and then maybe also thinking they can control the game. And I just thought it was very interesting because looking at them, if you were to redo this episode today, you would cast those two actors in these in this part and it would work. It would have the same vibe, same energy. So I don't know. Is this the right place to put it? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> I don't know. Let's get to the grades then, because okay. I definitely think we'll talk a lot about the episode in the grades. Oh, yes. <laughs> so do you want to go first? Well, there's so many great scenes in this episode. It's kind of, there's, I don't know. I have like 10, so I don't know. We I guess we could talk about them, but what was the, to me, the first great scene is when they beam down to the planet. Unless you like the teaser. Yeah. The, so I, it was fine. Really, I, I really love the captain. I'm getting a transmission. Okay. And it's Over, a TV yeah. show gladiator fights. And I'm yeah. like. Oh, it's on now. This is going to be great. I love it. Because I did not I did not read the synopsis before I turned it on. I was just like, bam, we're doing it. And I was like, ah, perfect. I believe it was called video. <laughs> television yeah, was the television. <laughs> and it's it's a great it's kind of a longer teaser. It's like three and a half minutes. And it really establishes mm-hmm. it establishes a lot of the on the planet stuff. They're looking for the Beagle, captained by this guy who washed out of Starfleet, who Kirk knew he could only serve as like the captain of a merchant vessel, right? He wasn't good mm-hmm. enough for like Starfleet. Like a merchant marine, basically. Yeah, exactly. Not good enough for Starfleet. You've got then like this idea of the Roman culture is on this other planet and they have survived to what is the at the time the episode aired, the present day, and they have TV. And that's uh-huh. so they're getting all that out of the way. So it's kind of long, but it is great. And then you actually get to see a murder on the on the screen. That's yeah. cool. The television signal they cut in on. But the first scene when they beam down and it's Kirk, Spock and McCoy and they're they're figuring out this planet. And as Spock pointed out, it, it even resembles Earth, like the land masses, uh-huh. the land to water ratio. And then when they get on the planet, he's like, hey, there's even smog in the air. Uh-huh. McCoy is really pissed that he's like Earth splitting. 
smog to them. That was funny. But it's setting up the Kirk or setting up the Spock and McCoy dynamic for the episode in that first scene as well. And then so that banter establishes the emotional through line. So I don't know. I I really like that scene. And then they're captured by these rebels. And um, and I thought it was a great scene because they've got guns pointed at them. And here we go. Captain Kirk is Captain Kirk. He's like, yeah. Oh, I failed to mention in the previous scene, not only do we establish the emotional arc, but we established two other things. This planet Hodgkin's law of planetary parallel planetary development, which is like a bullshit thing that Gene Roddenberry came up with to explain why the backlot looks like an alien planet. And our guest actors look like human beings, even though they're aliens, which I think was clever TV production at the time. And then the other part was really telling us what the prime directive is. Like they can't even reveal that there's aliens in the universe. Yeah. Uh, but then, so then they have guns pointed at them and Kirk's got to pretend like we're from a ship at sea and we're looking yeah. from out of town. <laughs> we're looking yeah, we're from out of town and uh, <laughs> we're just trying to find a buddy of ours. Have you seen him? He would have been dressed like us. Maybe kind of. Yep. And so the aggressive one that wants to kill him is, is calmed down by the older man of peace. And then mm-hmm. Kirk plays on that by saying, look, I'm going to prove to you we're not from the Roman guard. And he takes out his communicator and, you know, it basically convinces him like, all right, if you don't believe that I'm here for peace, for peaceful reasons, then you're going to have to kill me. <laughs> he just lays yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very like, that's a very good Kirkism of just like, well, you're, you have no choice but to trust us or that or you could just kill us. Yep. Your choice. So in that scene, we're introduced to Flavius, who was a former gladiator and and mm-hmm. and basically became part of the rebel group. Yeah, uh, like top dog uh, gladiator, like first rounder. Yep. And he's uh, taken in by Septimus, who's leading the rebels. And and basically there's like a religious group. There's a split. They believe in the Roman gods, the, the main culture. But then these rebels mm-hmm. believe in the sun and they preach peace. And I uh, just wanted to point out that Septimus is played by Ian Wolfe, who will later in season three play Mr. Atos in um, All Our Yesterdays. So he's one of the rare. He has such a distinct face. It's very easy if you've seen both episodes like, oh, it's that guy. So just yeah. Pointing that out. So I just thought that was a great scene. Please jump in. Yeah, there's two main scenes in the jail. The first one, I, st- I like that. I was like, oh, I like that Spock and McCoy are kind of getting on each other's nerves a bit here and then they decide they're going to attack the guards and kirk karate chops a guard in the back and i was like <laughs> yes and punches him in the mouth as well yes so, uh, so and but it's it's for no reason because um merrick is like oh don't worry about it or, you know oh we're on to you we, we know i told the proconsul everything You'll, you'll be coming with us now. So Captain Merrick is, has was one of the natives basically captured Merrick and his crew when he was captain of the Beagle and convinced him or swayed him. And they do a really nice job of showing that this Merrick guy is kind of a chump. 
He's and... such a fucking chump. Oh my god. <laughs> and so uh, no wonder he washed out of Starfleet. Exactly. So Claudius Marcus, the proconsul, real sniveling and bastard. He's able oh to god. really he's able to really pay play on that. Yeah. The the whole part about how he was able to get the Beagle crew, the entire crew, absorbed into the civilization. I definitely yeah. have some questions about that, but about that first jail cell, I mean, <laughs> you've got Flavius, this former warrior who is slowly being won over by Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, but then mm-hmm. McCoy and Spock start arguing, and he asks Kirk, like, are the enemies, Captain? <laughs> and Kirk <laughs> says, I'm not sure they're sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like a really nice scene. Obviously, what I love about how the scene starts is they get dragged in, and Kirk is just like, hey, I want to speak. Because he knows by now that Merrick is this first citizen, Merrickus. And so he tells the guard, he's like, tell Merrickus I want to speak to him. <laughs> the guard's like, you? You're just like chattel for the, the yeah, game. You, because they're, they're, they're dressed as slaves. Yeah. And so he's like, well, I might be a friend, perhaps, of Merrickus. And he goes, perhaps. And he says, well... Don't you think you should find out? <laughs> it's just yeah. like Kirk, Kirk is being captain, the captain. He's commanding even these guards. Um, it's great. I, can, I think there are actually two great scenes even before that. After they're captured, they get brought down to the slave caves. And we, mm-hmm. get like, we get like this little conversation where they're looking at the magazines of the era. And it's like you got the <laughs> Jupiter 8 car. And mm-hmm. that's how we find out that Maricus or Captain Merrick is part of this culture now, but we also get like the religious beliefs. And then we get this idea that this is when we get Spock and Kirk talking about, Oh, Merrick is now part of this. He's now Maricus. He's mm-hmm. like part of the culture. And then Spock's like, interesting. Is this the same Merrick that washed out of the Academy? And, and Kirk goes, he failed the psycho simulator test. All it takes is a split second of indecision. Hardly the type to become a political strongman. So Kirk's even like, yeah, yeah, this guy's a chump. Mm. Yeah, there must be there must be more to this here. And lo and behold, he has a puppet master pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. It's the pro the pro consuls show the whole time, and Merrick is just the idiot straw man in front. And so then they Flavius is, you know, takes them to the town because they're going to try to, like, figure out what happened to the Beagle crew. And I don't know, am I becoming like a softie in my old age or something? But they're they're hiding behind the tree. Kirk's like, hey, what's up with you? And he's like, you guys must really not know anything. I was like the best of the best, you know, as yeah. the best gladiator. And he and then he just kind of like realizes that. um you know, I didn't want to believe that peace and love and all that stuff was like good. And then he like the way the performance, like you could see that this man had changed. Yeah. That something had profound had happened to him. And then I guess I'm old because then this machine gun fire goes off and shatters <laughs> all the trees. And it, yeah. like, I, I was startled because I was so captured by the performance. And I'm like, this is a 55 year old episode of television. And it got me. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was a great scene. And then, yeah, that that first cell scene, there's so much going on in it between the Spock McCoy dynamic. Kirk is like giving Flavius a pep talk. Flavius is like, I'm not sure about this faith thing now. I guess it is all struggle. And Kirk's like, nope, you're on the right path. Keep going. And then he's also, he's also like, Hey, send down your first citizen. I might know him. And then, and then they try to escape. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, and they would have succeeded too. Yeah. 
I like even though he's a chump, I think he had a good presence. He had like a good voice, the Merrick guy. And then the the fucking pro count pro console. My God, what a what a worm. What an absolute worm. Just, just detestable <laughs> in every level. Like from the moment you see him, like fuck this guy. It's yeah. Then he opens his mouth and makes it worse. Um, any other great scenes? So at one point, I'm skipping ahead a bit, but at one point the pro console is like, well, tell that Spock and McCoy need to battle on television uh, to the death for entertainment. And they're going to, be put against the best two gladiators some other guy who i forget whose name it is and then flavius will be forced to fight as well and flavius doesn't want to fight these guys because he doesn't believe in that anymore but spock is like kicking the ass of the other gladiator <laughs> he's like he's like and, I, he's toying with him he's like i could beat your ass i could kill you <laughs> come on yeah and mccoy is like doing poorly even though flavius has no effort in this but then there is a network executive off screen who's literally whipping the talent telling them if the ratings go down on this because of you we're gonna do a tv special on you and it's just like whipping the talent literally with a whip and i'm like this is hilarious this is amazing like (laughs) so that's the reaction to this episode largely focused on how enjoyable all the like sniping at network TV and mm-hmm. the parada- paradising of that all. And I, I agree. It was very fun, especially for the 60s. And they don't actually have a studio audience. It's just like a, a guy with a dial who's moving <laughs> it from cheers to booze to cat calls. It's like literally what the, the labels are like this big, you know, Batman. Turning uh, a dial that says entertaining. Dial. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's hilarious and amazing. And then Merrick's like, yes, my crew had to die this way, too. And I'm like, this guy is such a fucking weenie. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, and then Flavius is telling McCoy, like, defend yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, at least I defend am, yourself. Yeah. My God. Yeah, this is pathetic. Uh, I had the, da, 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 <laughs> the great music. But before that scene, I like the scene where they're sitting all like cordially in, in the proconsul's chambers. And Kirk's the whole time he's asking, what happened to your crew? Yeah. <laughs> like, just slowly realizing, like, well, we ran into this guy and he convinced me through, like, a loophole in the Prime Directive, which, why does the merchant, why are yeah, they why is the, the merchant? Prime, <laughs> prime Directive. Uh, and it's just, like, it's just this series of events and Kirk's like able to see exactly what's going on here. And then it gets into all this like high minded talk about like, you have to bring your crew down here. It would be bad. Now if our culture gets exposed, we don't want that contamination. It might draw curiosity because we find out, you know, this episode has a lot of modern parallels. It's a culture that models itself after Rome. And it's like, this is the perfect way. They haven't had a war in 400 years and they're very conservative and they treat their slaves well. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it sounds like... Mm-hmm. So it's just like a, a libertarian paradise, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's just, uh, it, it's very interesting. Spock's even like, inter- fascinating. You know, they avoided all the world wars that Earth was able to avoid. And, and uh, is this the scene where, yeah. And then this is the scene where, they hand Kirk his communicator and they're like, you're going to start bringing down the crew. And then when they, they send a rescue team to rescue the rescue team, we'll capture them and we'll just do this uh-huh. over and over again. And we'll fill up our, populate our gladi- gladiator shows with your crew. And 
Kirk, just not flummoxed at all. Not <laughs> just. But also, like the pro consul's like, oh, this is a fucking foolproof plan because we did it to this merchant ship, and then like at one point, Merrick's like, well, that's this is a starship. This is like a real crew, not a bunch of fucking dum dums. Okay, like my crew and me. Like these people are smart. Yep. Like they're not gonna be like, oh, well, we lost another bunch of people. Better yep. send down some more. Like that isn't how it's gonna go. So after the the fight with with the whipping and the network execs and all that, <laughs> that's when we get the Spock and McCoy scene after the fight, the yeah. one that we talked about. It it's I it's definitely a scene I had seen maybe one other time before, but again out of context because I've never like sat and watched this episode all the way through, and just these little segments. And now having even more time passed that I've had Star Trek in my mm-hmm. life. Wow, it really is one of the best Spock and McCoy scenes ever. It is, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like just on their game. You would think, I guess you're like, oh, it's the second to last episode of the season, but it's not. It's the middle of the second season that they shot this. So everyone's in their prime. They're at peak everything. And I think that was part of the reason why the episode kind of maybe annoyed me also. It was like, it's just some basic Spock and McCoy sniping at each other and i didn't really care for it but again watching in segments i didn't get to see how it was building on everything Uh and then how it pays off at the end is it is right here it's really touching um i've got two more great scenes and maybe these are the same go ahead um (laughs) i am not including the scene where kirk is has a, a slave woman drusilla brought to him yeah i'm not including that scene but we can talk about it yeah, I have it somewhere else. Don't yes, worry. Yeah. So I, skipping that one, and then but afterward, the proconsul comes in afterwards, and it, the plan was, I wanted you to have your brains f***ed out before I killed you because I respect you. Yeah, <laughs> that was the plan. That but, was the absolute plan. That was well, like, oh, well, he's a man's man, and uh... and I've also taken out his his urge, his like physical stamina to be able to like affect an escape. Potentially, yeah. I mean, but, I, don't, I don't think he's. I don't yeah, think. Kirk, by the way, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think Kirk is going to be, you know, you know, gassed from just one roll in the hay. Well, they made it clear it was several hours. Still, <laughs> like it might have been a half day. It sounded like, but anyway, that scene, the the following scene where the proconsul is like checking in on him and is like, "Hey, one of your communicators is missing." Blah blah. And then Merrick comes in and like starts to join the conversation, and the proconsul is like, "Scram, wimp! Yeah. <laughs> real, real men are talking here." Yeah. I just thought it was a great scene. Just the dynamics at play. The proconsul thinks he's got the upper hand. Kirk's like just unflappable. And then we get this. It's a real big change in the beat with Merrick and we see what's going on and it all makes sense. It's all like tracking. You're tracking. Cause he, um, the proconsul had sniped at him in the earlier scene when they're all just sitting around talking about the culture. And so you could see that this was all building in like, Oh, I've got a better version of a captain. Uh, Oh, well, I got to kill him though. That's our yeah. culture. Um, and then the last scene that I think is a great scene. Um, we can certainly talk about the very last scene in the episode. Cause I think it's kind of neat especially since it gives Uhura like more than just hailing frequencies open captain mm-hmm. or Icer. But I still think it's not a great scene. I think the last scene where Kirk's brought to ex- be executed on TV and then they escape and the, the whole wrap up there, it pays off 
Flavius's arc, he sacrifices himself to uh-huh. save them. I think that's, you know, that's uh, pays off Merrick's arc because he tries to save them and sacrifices himself for them. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought like in his, he has one chance to one final chance, to not be a wimp and he steps up and, and it's great. And I, I thought it all worked. I, I, Ralph Sinensky didn't have much time or money to shoot this. And it, I think it all worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Best Trek trope. Why don't you go first? Best Trek tropes. Prime directive is in effect. Um, yes. They can't show that they have a starship that can blow them to bits. And that comes in later because Scotty has to determine how to aid the crew down there while not actually revealing that the Enterprise exists. And he does so with just take, a turning off the, a blackout, <laughs> turning off their power, and no one ever finds out why. Yep. So it was fine. Everything's great. Um, we already talked about this, but Kirk just challenging someone, well, if you don't believe us, you'll just have to kill, kill us. Um, just having like full faith that the people are like, oh, well, I guess we believe you. <laughs> um, I put that under uh, Kirk's bluffs because that's, you know, yeah. Kirk bluffing is, is amazing. Almost always works. It's always just, and Shatner's so good at it. He just looks so cool when he does it. <laughs> we had a Scotty log. Yeah. And he's yep. like, well, something's weird going on down there. Hmm. Yep. And then I put hot woman waiting for Kirk in the quarters for no particular <laughs> reason. But also, and we'll talk about this scene now, Uhura doing the homework. So while everyone was dicking around in gladiator games, they, everyone kept saying, why do they worship the sun? That's so weird. Like, that's so primitive for a species like this advanced. And she's like, they're not talking about the sun, you idiot. They're talking about sun like isn't the son of god and they're all like oh <laughs> she's like i've been going over the whole transmissions okay like while well, you guys were down there she is always listening <laughs> she <laughs> figured it out and then kirk says caesar and christ they had them both and the word is spreading only now a philosophy of total love and total brotherhood yeah so and then of course trying to draw the parallel for the 20th century wouldn't it be great if we had that in our 20th century Uh i don't know how i feel about that but anyway (laughs) uh i had mccoy being just flagrantly openly racist towards spock (laughs) Uh, to the point that even when the the other fighter is calling spock a barbarian mccoy's agreeing with him (laughs) Uh Uh yeah tell him Uh (laughs) uh-huh I already mentioned this Hodgkin's law of parallel development. I'm going to put Merrick down as like a bad captain, bad admiral or bad representative. Yeah. He's not a Starfleet guy, but just like the, the a bad the, representative of yes. the human race. Yeah. The counterpoint to, uh, to Kirk is always, or our, our show's captain is always a good uh, thing. And then the crew of the enterprise being shocked and offended by violence. Because in the opening scene, when they're getting the TV broadcast, they're kind of like horrified by what they're seeing. And then later, Kirk will say, you know, the the proconsul's trying to like play into that, being like, you've never seen something so barbaric. It's just like two schmucks 
playing with big <laughs> swords, but it's still like he's like, this is the most <laughs> aren't you triggered lib? Like he's yeah. trying, like, <laughs> this is so intense. <laughs> and Kirk's just playing it off. And of course he's seen more horrifying things. But I I the part about Star Trek to me that has stuck with me, maybe it's just because I started watching it when I was a child, was that it's kind of like that Indiana Jones thing. Remember when in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's like, don't look when they're opening the ark. And it's kind mm-hmm. of received by children as like, don't look. And if you're a kid, you close your eyes, but you just mimic what you see in a lot of ways. And and I think Star Trek, the characters being offended or appalled by violence they witness. And as a result, it plays into the violence they're willing to inflict. I think that's something to me as like a good Trek trope. I'm, and you can say it's hypocritical because then later on they go and they fight a bunch of people or whatever. But at least having these beats, I think, is kind of a big deal. Also, it helps the story to show like, oh, this is a big deal, right? Like, why would they care about rescuing this crew? It's like they're in a barbaric situation. Worst Trek tropes. Um, so this is not so much a trope, but I just wanted to point out, and I have nowhere else to put it, that ancient Rome on Earth was actually quite advanced. And if it had not fallen, it we probably would have gotten the industrial revolution like at least a thousand years before we did. So I'm just saying (laughs) like there were inventors who knew who like created little steam engines um, and like just had not yet put it together with like piston technology. So yeah. I uh, yeah. See, unfortunately, my so if we just world kept going on, is, yeah. if we just kept going with ancient Rome, like they had clean water and plumbing. Like I think there was some statistic where in ancient Rome, they had like the amount of indoor plumbing and sanitation they had was not equaled in Rome again until like the 1950s. Wild. Yeah. I get I, I'm so irony poisoned and have so much Star Trek in my brain. No world history knowledge. It's all gone. <laughs> if, I, if ever it was there, it's now gone. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure if this is a worse Trek trope, but I wasn't sure where to put it. I can't decide if Kirk knowing Merrick from his Academy days is a best trope or a worse trope. Because this frequently happens even today. It's kind of remarkable how this episode, there's echoes of it in plenty of other treks in the future. But like knowing the other, the the antagonist uh, and so having some personal connection is like a really interesting, not interesting. It's like, is that a bad trope or a good trope? And no, this one, it really works. Yeah, it works on this one. I understand what you're meaning. It's like the old literature like old british literature from like the 1800s where if you introduce a character they have to actually be someone of consequence instead of just having like a talk to character um we don't like novels usually don't write that like if the bellhop is just the bellhop you know like it's not like oh my goodness and it's the same the very same boy i gave away as uh, when i got pregnant that one time or whatever like it's just we don't need that anymore but i understand where it comes from yeah, I and, mean, and for a, this, it, it moves the plot along because it's like, oh, yeah, I knew him. Like, you could just do that in a very simple exchange of dialogue without having to give, like, a big backstory later on. Yeah, so I th- and also it's he only knows him just enough for what we need to know that's emotional. Like, yeah. they, don't, they didn't have a friendship. He's like, I kind of uh-huh. knew that guy. He washed out. We were in the same yeah. class. He washed, yeah, but I, what I 
I, what I will put as a worst Trek joke, even though I like the Hodgkin's Law parallel development as a clever production thing around, is like really the hand wringing over like we really need to explain just how much like Earth this planet is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that was totally necessary. I don't know. It just kind of was like they're going spending a lot of time on it. <laughs> it's like yeah. I don't know if you need that anyway. Well, I, I also have it's Christianity. Ah. Um, do you think this was like a network note or something, but it's like very much like, let's make sure we, it's space, but let's make sure everyone knows Jesus is still real and Christianity is the default, uh, religion. I mean, they had Jewish people in ancient Rome too. Well, at some point, Star Trek wasn't going to be aired in the South because Spock looked like a devil or something like that. So it's like TV in the sixties. It's like if it's like you got to play to the evangelicals, you got to yeah, play to the Christians. That's what I kind of assume. It's so silly. It's so like kind of out of place with like it, modern. It is Star but it, Trek because modern Star Trek has a lot of, and I always complain about this: the "is it God" that's trope. True. Yeah, but it's not like specifically. Oh yes, wouldn't it be great to see? the one true son of God come to earth again. Like, Oh my God. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think that makes sense as a worst Trek trope. I do kind of do like that. They tried to play with it and make it fit even more Star Trek where it was about Mm -hmm. love and community and peace because that is very Star Trek. It's like Christ, but the love and community (laughs) was kind Mm -hmm. of the thing in there. Um, Most of it's time quality. All right, I got a lot of these. So I, there are a lot of guns and a lot of shooting in this particular episode. And I saw the air date, which was March 15th, 1968. And so I was like, oh, how close was that to the Martin Luther King assassination? Oh, maybe that's so this why. Aired, this aired like three weeks prior. Oh. And I was like, because I hope it didn't air right after. <laughs> 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 Oof. Um, so many rifles. But that might have been why it was delayed, though, was that 68. No, it didn't have... It's no, it happening all the time in 68. Yeah, no, but... What I'm saying is it was delayed by quite a lot, uh, being the 14th episode shot, but the the 29th air or 25th aired, and it's like... There's a lot of rifles in a lot of Star Trek episodes, though, so I don't I don't know how it compares to the rest Especially of the Especially when they go down to a planet that is very close to Earth. Yeah. <laughs> that was like a thing. <laughs> the episode where everybody's in the 1920s or whatever, <laughs> the, and everyone's, yeah. everyone's carrying a Tommy gun, like literally mm-hmm. an automatic <laughs> machine gun. Yeah. They're beamed somewhere off of Laurel Canyon. Um, <laughs> this is absolutely just like a... Somewhere in the canyon, um, or possibly like they asked Universal or Warner Brothers if they can just kind of like go in the in the bushes. Sedensky's got the answer in his blog. He writes, "To start the impossible this impossible mission, we returned to Bronson Canyon, where I had ah. filmed the idyllic This Side of Paradise. But it was a part of Bronson Canyon new to me. I had previously filmed in the pristine forest section of the canyon, the area of the cave, though." Although much used for filming by Hollywood studios was a new location for me. So there you go. It's on the backside. Ah. What else? <laughs> the super, super cheap clothing on the slaves. It's like 
cut off sweats yes, and yes. like flip, literally flip flops from the from the grocery store with like a stamp for the from chains yeah. at the time it would have been pick and save yeah um yeah and the chain stamped on like the cheap the cheapest sweats they could find and just the cut off the sleeves and like the um collar um and also the pro consul's outfit he is dressed like liberace if liberace had no money <laughs> like Liberace down and out. Like it's cheap polyester and lame sparkly fabric and the hair as well. And his whole, his little layer looks like if Liberace went bankrupt, it's giving Liberace the whole time. <laughs> uh, I have... In the teaser, Kirk asks what era of development the planet is in, and Spock says, no signs of atomic power as yet, but far enough along for radio communications, power transportation, and an excellent road system. And I think admiring a large interstate highway network is just oh something as yes. you know in the 1960s would do. Uh -huh. Literally 12 years after Eisenhower's interstate highway system started, like you know, building freeways was a big deal. Yeah. Oh, big deal there. And I know, and you have to know it's freeways because then we get the car advertisement in the cave uh -huh. scene afterwards. So this is about America driving yeah. the suburbs and redlining all that horrible shit. But it's like, that's, to me, it's the most... Uh, and smog. That's right. And smog, exactly. So it's very clearly about cars. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. You know what? This is going to be tough because a, quite a lot of the script is incredibly quotable. Yeah, I, I eventually just had to stop writing them down. Um, <laughs> so Spock gets upset that McCoy keeps saying, using the word logical to just get under his skin. And so McCoy says, he's like getting very annoyed that you're saying that something around those lines. And then McCoy says, medical men are trained in logic, Mr. Spock. And then he, Spock says, really, doctor? I had no idea they were trained. Watching <laughs> you, it, I assumed it was trial and error. <laughs> and then McCoy is like trying to open up to Spock and thank him. And then Spock's like, will you be brief? I'm trying to exact an escape or whatever. And then, and then McCoy says, I'm trying to thank you, you pointed ear hobgoblin. There we go. That was one of the ones I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, after they beam down the first time, McCoy says, once, just once, I'd like to be able to land someplace and say, behold, I am the Archangel Gabriel. I failed to see the humor in that situation, Doctor. Naturally, you could hardly claim to be an angel with those pointed ears, Mr. Spock. But say you landed someplace with the pitchfork. <laughs> My yeah. God. <laughs> Flavius, when they first captured the landing party, what do you call those? And Spock says, I call them ears. And Flavius says, are you trying to be funny? And the way Leonard Nimoy says, never. Flavius to Kirk, are they enemies, Captain Kirk? I'm not sure they're sure. And it's great because that comes back later as just like, it's like just a good emotional thing, but it's also just very fun. And then the, the lead policeman, as they've brought, you know, they're like, all right, you jabronis stay here and we're going to take flavius back to the games i know you flavius you're as peaceful as a bull and like <laughs> i like that i thought that was good <laughs> you bring this network's ratings down flavius and we'll do a special on you yeah <laughs> uh 
Oh, so the other fighter's name was Achilles, I guess. So it's Flavius uh-huh. Achilles. If I'm a coin, Spock, is this one of your lines? No. <laughs> Achilles uh, says to Spock, fight, you pointed air freak. <laughs> <laughs> That's McCoy. Yes. And the, the guy about the racism, because yeah. you tell him, Buster, of all the completely ridiculous, illogical questions I ever heard in my life. Because I think Spock's like, how are you doing? Are you all right? <laughs> yeah. And then McCoy's line. Do you know why you're not afraid to die, Spock? You're more afraid of living. Each day you stay alive is just one more day you might slip and let your human half peek out. Yeah. Oh, Claudius, as Kirk is taken to the arena, you may not understand because your century is beyond anything as crude as television. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I did have his line, Merrick's line about the starships. Uh, he goes, I because the whole time, Pro Consul's whispering in Kirk's ear, like, look at our bar. Aren't you triggered? He's like the choker. (laughs) Isn't this this the most horrifying thing you've ever seen? Merrick says he commands not just a spaceship, Pro Consul, but a starship, a very special vessel and crew. And man, yeah, starships, man. I I just love that in that moment, he's like fully accepted. Like, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. Yeah, (laughs) Kirk's the best. Here we go. And then, uh, I don't know, the uh, the Drusilla slave scenes are tough, but at the same time, when she says to him, at the first sign of pain, you'll tell me, he says, you'll be the first to know. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, when he saves McCoy and Spock, they're like, are you all right? <laughs> Kirk says, they threw me some curves. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the... <laughs> Which is the most ridiculous pun that works perfectly. Yeah. You guys want to believe it. It's real rough. <laughs> what happened? Did you have sex with a native woman? Uh, <laughs> we you know got, me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Do you remember the movie Funny People? With like Seth Rogen, oh, Adam Sandler yeah. and all that stuff. Yes. But Jason Schwartzman, I don't think he's playing himself. I think he's playing like one of like snooty, uh, like hipstery comics. And it's in the Seth Rogen part of the storyline. And I think Seth Rogen wants to be with Aubrey Plaza, but like. Is he the one who, does he play the like the obnoxious roommate? Who, oh, maybe that's what he plays. I've only seen gets, it once. Who like finally got like a network yes, role, I like think, recurring yes. network role. So he gets paid like five grand a week or something, which is yes, a lot of money. Yes, it's something like that. Yes. But he has the line, the only real line from that movie I remember, which is like, if you make me f- my way out of this situation, I'm going to be so mad. Like, like he uses sex as a weapon to get through yeah. things. And it's like, that is a, something Captain Kirk does. It's a skill. Yeah. <laughs> also, there's a part of it that feels like it was Gene Ronberry scene work with that Gene Kuhn had to go in and spruce up. But I don't think Gene Ronberry would allow that. I don't know. It's just funny. That uh-huh. it's like... <laughs> Anyway. Also, I hope, I hope Captain Kirk was using some protection because if it's like 20th century Earth mm. and ancient Rome, yeah, they got syphilis big time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that McCoy has very powerful penicillin. So. Yeah, but <laughs> it just it puts you out of commission for a little while. The Anton Crudian Award for Best Performance. Kristen, please. I actually have a tough one on this one because I really liked everyone so much. Um, so I was going to wait and see what you said. <laughs> this is tough too, because the pro console dude 
that he's so I you hate him immediately. Uh-huh. Is that acting to just have such a punchable face? Um, but I I have to give it an honorable mention. So at least let me. Okay. So I will give the honorable mention to um, Logan Ramsey, who's Claudius. But I I'm gonna go with Shatner. Is that okay? Is that too obvious? Um, I would say it's either him or Leonard Nimoy or DeForest Kelly, probably. Maybe it should be DeForest Kelly. How many? How often are we gonna? Maybe it should be all three. I don't know. Hmm. I'm gonna go with DeForest Kelly, but I must change it. He because okay. Kirk is so good, but he's like fully like he's. There's never a moment where he's. Uh, there's no vulnerability in the performance because Kirk in this entire time is like no. Yeah, he's got another crisis. Yeah, he's like a full, and he's so cool and calm and collected. It's great. He's like I have been trained for this, unlike yes. fucking America, who washed up before we got to like. That's right. So it's the, a little, being, you know, not sacrificing yeah. your whole crew to to a te- televised gladiator game show. Yep. So I mean, like Kirk, it's kind of unfair because it's like this is peak Kirk. It, the, the trifecta. It's the best. Like the stereotypical but also best performance that you could get for them uh, i'll go to forrest kelly though because of that that shockingly cut scene from, yeah from, also he's, he's fighting with sword and a shield you know what i mean like he's got stuff to do and yeah there's like a couple there's a shot where it's clearly like the stunt double oh several i love it yeah i'm like yeah <laughs> i'm so like yeah that, isn't him. that ain't him at all like they weren't they weren't giving anyone sword fighting lessons no 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 maybe no. The, the, the other guys yeah in the previous week or whatever. Nimoy had that good move where he like does the reverse turn on his arm yeah like right before when he's like all right I gotta dispatch this loser <laughs> it's time time to stop playing with him the Shatner William Ware Tice for Drusilla's dress <laughs> that was quite a dress famous costumer costume designer William Ware Tice uh, that guy is just Steph Curry from the, the half court. Just <laughs> Yeah, like the television code at the time, I think, said you couldn't show your navel. So it's very, it's cut so you can't see the belly button. Yeah, you can see those curves. Those are you some You see hits. everything else. Yep, yeah, you can see everything else. So the Shatner's not supposed to be necessarily bad. So I did put the pro console's whole vibe um, because it, Obviously, he's going for it. Like, the character itself is just, like... Uh, the, the plan is a little ha- half-cocked. So I think he's really going for the, the plan, like, the character itself. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, like... He's about as smart as, like, an Elon Musk or something. Like, he's... Oof, oof. His, ambi- his ambitions set the gonna parameters of his intelligence. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna blow a hole in the earth. Mean, what were you gonna say? I uh, Just <laughs> blow himself up in some way. <laughs> He's gonna fall in a K hole. The guy uses ketamine yeah. so much, but like yeah, unfortunately, so. Elon doesn't go on his own rockets because if he did, <laughs> solves that problem right there. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so I had him as performance, but you're like, this is a going for it performance. Um, well, it just like, in the dress. It was, no, it was well. No, it was just like the character it wasn't so much the actor. It was just like this whole. Everything that he's going for, the character is going for. It's not, and again, it's not bad, but he's going for it. Like he's got yeah. like world domination, and he's like, yeah. But I'm, I'm gonna, fine with it. Giving it to the dress, like I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm or, gonna, or I was going to give it to the network executive. 
<laughs> he was married to the actress Anne Ramsey. I don't know who that is, but I'll, I'll cut. Uh, oh, he was married to Mama Fratelli in the Goonies, and <laughs> and from Throw Mama from the Train. Oh my God! Wild! <laughs> wow! Okay! All right! Okay! Eighties <laughs> kids will know that. So. Yeah, I barely know. What part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Um, how you can rescue the crew and still not violate the prime directive. Yes. And I also think that like that condition green code that Kirk gives to Scotty mm-hmm. when he's under duress is like working out some sort of like uh, signal like a like a safe well, word. Well, it seems like they had already worked it out because yes. Scotty says in his log, like, That's I told him to, yeah, yeah. I think they would teach, like, you should have your own, for your own culture, your own ship, you know, unique <laughs> circumstances. And also probably sense. some, like, don't send another crew down <laughs> just to rescue the first group and then continue to send and send and send. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if the goal is to avoid contaminating a culture and your people go missing, that Just requires <laughs> well, or that or requires a, a a top down rethink of how to approach the situation. You can't yeah. just throw good, what is it? Throw good money after bad. You can't throw yeah, yeah, good yeah. people after dead. Yeah. Uh, but also he does mention the psycho simulator test, which I think a split second of indecision is a little unfair, but whatever. But now they were like, he, no, this is this one. Yeah. It's like the train. The trolley problem, but like he was, well, what if we just blow up the trolley or something? And they're like, oh, no, get him out of here. You know, we've seen actually versions, variations of that test throughout Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek 2 is, you know, Kobayashi Maru is effectively a psycho simulator test. You know, how do you deal with a no-win scenario? And then you've got like Next Generation when Wesley starts taking some Academy stuff. Remember when he like Mm -hmm. rescues that person in another room, he hears like, a distant noise and he finds out it's like a big test to like, see if he'd like risk his life or something. So I don't know that they definitely teach a lot of this stuff that Merrick just failed. <laughs> Spectacular. Yeah, I was, I, what I said, I wrote down as well. He clearly washed out before they got to any of the stuff about sacrificing your crew, like an idiot and becoming a despot, uh, being controlled by a puppet master. But I, what, so what I liked about that guy his look and his voice. And I want to get the actor's name here. Uh, I don't have it. Oh, well. Um, but what I liked about him was he had the outward appearance of a, of a command, a, an outwardly commanding presence. He was kind of like James Comey. But then when you got, <laughs> when you got underneath it just a little bit, yeah. you just saw that he was a bitch. Yeah. James <laughs> Comey is the biggest <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Biggest fucking drama queen bitch yeah. I've and, ever seen. And you saw how Merrick just, you know, how he's a big letdown. And you can see he projects a certain authority. But when he, he wilts in the face of any challenge to it, just so I thought it was great casting for the role. I I thought, but um, OK, uh, I was just going to say you can't have someone who's like. Seems like he's got it under control. Right. Because that is not the case. <laughs> Could this episode have been hornier? And would that have made I it better? I don't know, man. It's, it's pretty fucking horny, <laughs> as is. Like, Captain Kirk gets his brains fucked out so hard that he, like, falls asleep for several hours and then wakes up and he doesn't even know, like, where he is. 
That's right. Like, he does not like. <gasps> I'm getting dizzy <laughs> so much. <laughs> he wakes up dizzy, and like, it was a long day, but that is a lot for him, especially. I had the same exact thought. I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure a sex slave who's just fully in, in the present moment. She's fully present in the moment. I don't think there's any way to make the episode hornier. So I would, I did have this thought. I would like to think that if they remade this episode or made something similar to it, uh, that they, that we get some gay shit in here. Oh yeah. There should have been way a bunch of gay shit in (laughs) all of this. Like there, you know, you got gladiators, so you're already you're already thinking in those lines. I would think at least yeah. if modern oh, audiences. Oh come on! <laughs> Flavius is like he's not that upset about getting thrown back into the gladiator group. He's got some friends. He's like, there, you so. know what? <laughs> it's good. It's worse. fine. Yeah. And also the fact that like the pro console doesn't even have like, you know, like a yacht, like a post pubescent boy. And one of his slaves is like not accurate. So. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah, good, great point. <laughs> They're all supposed great to have Kristen, that. yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so Trek. I, mean, I just want to make sure I want to be clear that these boys were like over 18 years old. Sure. So don't, please don't. No, they really, it would have been considered, um, like, I think 16 was like the youngest they would have taken. Hmm. But there would have been. Uh, at least in the, the the remake today, there'd be some twinks in chains. Well, no, that's the whole there. point. The whole Wait, point of having a young. Explain. So when you had like a younger beloved, it's and you know from Latin or whatever. So it was not always like a super older guy and a younger like a super young boy. It was just like a fully grown man, but who hasn't gotten like all the facial hair and body hair yet. So like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Oh, so it was like a like a statusy thing. Yes, it was, oh. and like it was usually like if it would it would have been like someone of the upper echelon um, families too, and it would have been more of like a mentor mentee relationship. I was the opposite. I had like a mustache at ten, and like I, I was <laughs> you wouldn't the, you wouldn't that, have made it. it. Yeah, no, you would not have made it. Like, I mean, maybe someone would have been your mentor, but not for like. <laughs> Not the sex stuff. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> Trek, marry, or kill bread and circuses. I really liked this episode, Brian. I did. I, I came into this recording um, like, oh, it's very strong Trek. And uh, I, I'm going to give it a Mary, I think. I think so, too, because I the I watched this when... Um, uh, my son and my husband were at swim lessons. So I was like alone in the house. And I was like, the whole time I was like, oh, I wish other people were here. So I could be like, this show's so fucking awesome. Oh my God. It was like, I'm not gonna say it's like the perfect episode of Star Trek, but it's like everything you love about the original series, even the Batman jail set and beaming down to Laurel Canyon. Like those things just, I think, enhance the charm, like the 60s TV look of it. And the sex slave stuff is, if you know it, it's going to happen going into it, I guess. There's a part least, of it. Yeah. I'm glad they at least had, like, the the sex slave was, like, smiling and, like, very, very into it the whole time. 
at least. Right. Well, because they go out of their way to say like the slaves are treated very well here. They get health care. Yeah. But like she's like into it. Yes. I mean, there's still some like implied consent issues, you know, power dynamics and what have you. But, you know, yeah. yeah. What, what else do you I mean, the best you're going to get, I think. Is it important to say where the where bread and circuses came from the phrase? Yeah. Okay. I have no idea, s- by the way. I'm not going to say uh, say it in Latin because that will be embarrassing oh. for me, but it comes from a line by the Roman satirist Juvenal. See? No, I don't know any Juvenal. And refers to the practice in ancient Rome of providing a regular free bread or grain dole to the lower classes and free entertainment in the city's arenas and circuses, both of which uh-huh. had the effect of preventing civil unrest in the populace. Yeah. Uh, populace. Yeah. Also a thing in Greek, Greece, too. I saw a tweet earlier today. It was like, it would be, it would have been so fucking sick being a peasant back in the Coliseum days. To it see would like, not have been fucking well, sick. Well, because okay. they were like getting drunk and then going down and seeing some like, uh, like what is it, the horse, like basically seeing uh, uh, Spartacus, seeing mm-hmm. the horse, uh, seeing that live, and um, um, yeah. So, peasants very entertained by bread and circuses. We were very entertained by this episode. Congratulations again. 55 years later, we're still talking about it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and a couple of dirtbags are liking it. So there we go. All right. Next week. Wait, am I, am I the dirtbag or our listeners are the dirtbags? Uh, dirtbag, parentheses, complimentary, close parentheses, both you and I. Uh, our listeners are salt of the earth, good people. <laughs> Next week, I've given Kristen the week off. I'm telling her that now. We're going to have some guests. Oh, okay. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. It's the 57th anniversary of Star Trek. So I thought another episode from the original series would be appropriate. And for the 57th anniversary, it will be the 57th episode, The Enterprise Incident. And I'll have a pair of guests on to judge it with me. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars right there or in your Spotify app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us online on Twitter and Instagram at TrekMaryKPod. Ooh, that reminds me. I need to upgrade that Instagram site. <laughs> also, hmm. Uh, that which has all the standards of everything we've graded so far. So, until next week, TMK out. Bye. Bye.